Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Um, I'm sitting here on Thursday night. It's Valentine's night. And I'm sitting here recording just after the game has finished. Bate Borisov 1, Arsenal 0. I'm trying to think of a, a Valentine's Day comparison to what we got tonight. And maybe it's Unai Emery coming home with a bunch of petrol station flowers. The very last bunch, actually, of petrol station flowers. The sort of bunch that even the most desperate man on his way home with nothing for his his other half on Valentine's night looked at them and went, nah, nah, nothing is better than that. It will be better for me, even though it will be bad to bring home nothing rather than that bunch of flowers. But that bunch of flowers is what we got from Unai Emery and his team in Belarus tonight. Um, I mean, where do you even start? Are there missed chances that we should have taken, which would have put us in control of the game? Are they the worst thing? Is the fact that we can't defend, is that the worst thing? Is it that we had 45 minutes, an entire half, to change the dynamic of the game and all we seemed to do was confuse the players? Was that the worst thing? The fact we didn't really create any chances? The fact that we lost against a team that haven't played a game of football in two months? Is that the worst thing? Or is all of it just together the worst thing? I don't know. What I do know, though is that it was bad. And I don't know what Unai Emery is trying to do with this team, apart from getting Alex Iwobi to put Kolasinac in on the overlap. The Kolasinac overlap. That's what we've got from an attacking point of view. The Kolasilap. That's that's it. That's as much as we've got. I, I thought it was weird, frankly, that given that Kalasinac, okay, he was at fault for the goal because we know he's not a very good defender, but he does give you something in the final third. When he was, for whatever it was, 66 or 70 minutes, basically our only attacking threat or the area from which attacks came, we took him off and put on Dennis Suarez, who looks like I know he's short of fitness and all that kind of stuff. But did you ever have, like, a game of football with your mates when you were kids? And one of the lads 
had to bring his younger brother with him. And everyone's like, ah, what'd you bring him for? And he's like, oh, my mom said I had to bring him. I don't have any choice. Can we let him play? And everyone's like, ah, God, yeah, okay, he can play. But, like, we're 12, like, you know, we're 12. And he's only eight. It's going to be absolutely shit if he plays. And he plays, and it's shit because you're all much bigger than him. And he tries. He's like plucky little guy. But basically, you're all four years older than him, and he's tiny. And you just, you know, bump him off, and it's it's awful. And that's what Dennis Suarez was. And uh, it was, I think, a real blot on Unai Emery's copybook, this result. I really do. That kind of approach, that kind of team selection, not good. And let's remember that we went to Bate Borisov last season with a team who you could say weren't any better or perhaps maybe you might say were worse than the team we had out last night, and they got themselves 4-0 up. They won 4-2 in the end because we conceded a couple of late goals, but basically they scored four because Bate Borisov are shit, and they haven't played for two months, and we lost to them, and that's bad. Um, So I think... Uh, to try and get some more structured thoughts on this, I might as well go straight in to our guest uh, on the show this week to discuss the 1-0 defeat to Bante Borisov in the Europa League. Tim Stillman, hello to you. Hello. That's the most depressing sentence I think I've ever heard. <laughs> I hope you have a stiff drink, do you? I wasn't going to have a drink this evening, but I've got a, I've got a stiff one in front of me now. Just uh, water. Just water. Okay, you're a braver man than I am. I have to say, Tim, I was expecting to talk to you about a fairly routine Arsenal win, which wouldn't Mm. take us too long, because what can you say about a win over a team as poor as Bate Borisov? And I had other other things that we were going to talk about, (laughs) which we might do, but we probably won't, because I think there's much more to unpack uh, tonight because of this this defeat. Uh, Maybe I'm an idiot, or maybe I'm just hopelessly optimistic, but I really was not expecting that tonight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely the same. Um, I, I, do you know what I was expecting? I was expecting to win maybe two or three nil, mm. and maybe have the debate about how well we played. Yeah, maybe yeah. a bit like the Huddersfield game. You know, the kind of well, we we deserve to win, yeah, but how good was it really? Mm. Um, I wasn't expecting it to be. Yeah, that was just objectively bad. <laughs> Yeah, that's. I mean, I've just done a little intro to the podcast there, and that was bad. Is something that popped up uh, a couple of times in, in what I said, and just to sort of put the result in context. Last season, we went to Bate Borisov in the Europa League in the group stages. Not that I think it makes any great difference, to be honest. Um, and actually, we played them at a time when their league season was underway. It's worth mm. pointing out that Bate Borisov have not played a game, a competitive game of football for two months. They're in their preseason training right now. And the team that we put out that night was Ospina, Mertesacker, Holding, Mustafi, Wilshire, Maitland-Niles, Elneny, Willock, Giroud, Walcott, and Nelson. And that team was 4-0 up. <laughs> well, it wasn't, no. It was 4-1 up, actually. I, I, yeah. I made a mistake there. But it was we scored four goals, and they got a couple back. Um, I think on paper, that team from last season is a worse team yeah. than the one we saw last night. So it raises some big questions. 
Yeah, it really does. And for all of um, the kind of the holes in the Arsenal squad and, you know, the question of balance and things like that and the pitch and whether we should play with three centre-halves and whether, you know, everyone's all of a sudden a defensive midfielder, um, according to some people, we're better than that. Like, we're we're better than that. Like, nobody's under the illusion that this is, like, um, a world-class squad waiting to break out but we're a lot better than that and what's um what's quite odd at the moment is we seem to have kind of reversed where at the beginning of the season we had these really listless first halves and then you know did you know clicked into gear a little bit in the second half that's maybe overstating it but doing enough yeah and now actually what we're doing is we're starting games fairly brightly and then just completely like losing the plot and just descending into this kind of mess and it's it's really really worrying because um there's quite a lot going on there i think with the confidence of the players clearly um and and actually for all the you know like our sole tactic at the moment seems to be let's try and get Kolasinac on the overlap Mm. it it, it's actually a fairly effective tactic (laughs) like I, i know it's i know it's it's kind of boring because it seems to be the only thing we've got, but it's actually quite effective. It actually works quite a lot. And so the one kind of thing you can identify that seems to be have been worked on actually works quite well, which begs the question about what else are we working on? Like, what else are we trying to mm. do? And, you know, this question of uh, we've we've asked a lot particularly in the opening months of, you know, Emery's reign, like, do we see where this is going? Do we see a style and all of that? And that that's important for us as fans. But the more pertinent question is, do the players yeah. see a style? Because they get more information than we do on the training ground. And it's like, do, do they see a plan? Do they see a style? Do they, you know, yeah. do they buy in? Is there something to buy into? Because... Yeah. The little alarm bell I've had in the back of my head all season is, I, you know, I mean, I don't really listen to Emery's press conferences anymore because I, I just don't understand what he's saying. And I don't I, I don't think that's a linguistic thing. I, I don't think it, you know, his English is good. Like, I, it's not because, like, I can't yeah. understand his zany Spanish accent or anything. Objectively, it's not bad, you know, and yeah. there's still some yeah. learning. You know, he can express himself fairly well. I mean, I think that's a that's a point. I want to come to you about the, the players and what they think of what's going on or what we might think the players are thinking of what's going on. But, you know, when you think about it, the I'm going to come to the team selection now in a minute as well, but the Kolasinac overlap thing, it is effective, But I wonder, you know, how it is that a team like Arsenal has become so dependent on this one thing for almost all of its creative outlet. I mean, people now are listening to this screaming, well, you know, there's a pretty good uh, creative midfield player we have uh, in our squad who wasn't in the team and wasn't in the squad to, to travel. And I hear that. But there were two chances in the yeah. early stages of the game, which I think we, we should have scored. Mkhitaryan should have scored in the opening couple of minutes. A great ball from Iwobi to set Kolasinac free. as uh, a good cross, and I think Mkhitaryan should score from there. Lacazette with a header at the back post from a, a Kolasinac cross. And, you know, you've said it countless times about how important the, the first goal is in games. Yeah. Um, so, you know... I'm not trying to make yeah. any excuses or or suggest that there's mitigation for this, but the chances were there, and had they gone in, I think we'd have been looking at a different night. But they didn't, yeah. and that is uh, that leaves you open to your other weaknesses being exposed. 
Yeah, absolutely. It was kind of like a, a diseconomies of scale in that, I mean, mm. we don't look particularly confident at the moment. And, you know, we started OK. And yeah, if one of those chances goes in, I think we're talking about something very, very different. But then obviously Barto get a goal off of a set piece that gives them something to defend. And all of a sudden, you know, you look at that chance in the first minute for Mkhitaryan and there's oceans of space for Iwobi to play the ball. Kolasinac runs into oceans of space. Mkhitaryan's unmarked in the six yard box. You know, Barto didn't really start the game with... 10 defenders um, in their like yeah. potato farm box like, <laughs> just with lumps kicked out of it. You know, it, the game didn't start like that. It wasn't really until like Bartow were the ones who grew into the game. And obviously we're not confident at the moment. And so when we went one nil down, you know, all of our confidence kind of evaporated. The pitch got worse. Um, I think the technical level of this team, and one of the problems at the moment is the technical level of this team is quite low. Mm. Um, and, you know, e- even when we're not playing on cabbage patches, you know, at, at Huddersfield last weekend, we had, you know, Kolasinac is regularly passing at under 60%. Maitland-Niles was at about 55% or 60% mm. or it's somewhere in that region against Huddersfield. Like, uh, we, give, we give the ball away a lot and when you look um, tonight, you know, the, uh, and listen, like, don't get me wrong, I don't think we'd be any worse with Ozil in the team. But when, even when Ozil was playing earlier in the season, he, he doesn't have many assists this season and all of his chance created metrics are down. So mm. there's something else a bit more widely going on. But when you look at, to, uh, you know, the, the Barte game, it's the creative hub of the team was Genduzi, Iwobi and Kalasanach, which... You know, however you feel about all of those players individually or their potential or their ceiling, I mean that's that's not that's not an elite level creative no. force, really. That's you know, that's that's asking a lot of some players who are either learning the game or who are just plain inconsistent. Um and then I I think the other slightly technical issue we've got is that most of our attackers don't shoot very much, even Lacazette and Aubameyang. Um, they tend not to shoot unless it's absolutely like just perfect for them to shoot. And I think <clears throat> this is quite outmoded uh, way of attacking. If you look at um, the way some of our better competitors are attacking at the moment. Mane, Salah, they take tons of shots. Aguero, Sterling take loads of shots. Son, Kane, Eriksen, shoot, shoot, shoot. They, they're high-volume shooters. And we've got, you know, Aubameyang doesn't really shoot unless he's, you know, eight mm. yards out. Ditto, Lacazette, Iwobi doesn't really shoot. And when he does, he doesn't shoot very well. So, like, we we've got this, like this really bad combination of very little creativity and um, not a lot of kind of um, inspiration either. Sure. Um, I mean, do you and- feel that comes from the way that we end up playing the game? You know, a bit. It, it is, it's difficult to shoot when you don't have a good position to shoot from, but when yeah. you're playing the game in a way which allows the opposition to prevent you f- uh, from, from creating space even to shoot, like as the game yeah. went on, I think, uh, Bate Borisov, they said, okay, we can sit back here and we can pretty mm. much deal with everything that they've got because they don't have a little bit of guile or they don't have the craft. They don't have that special player to open us up or to look for that pass. You know, 
if we can marshal Kolasinac as well as we uh, as well yeah. as we can, chances are we're not going to be able to do that. So what happens is you get Lacazette dropping off, you get Lacazette yeah. dropping deep. Uh, we're going to talk about his sending off now in a, in a few minutes' time. But you know, even when uh, Aubameyang came on, I'm looking mm-hmm. at the team and I'm thinking, well, what do we do? What 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 do we playing here? What are we trying mm. to do? Because we'd brought Aubameyang and uh, Torreira on, and we'd gone to a back four, and then within four or five minutes, we took Kolasinac off, which yeah. meant we were playing without a left back, and we put Suarez sort of out there, and we'd gone to, I guess, to a back three again. So we changed formation, then changed formation again. And I'm looking at Lacazette on the left wing, and I'm looking at Aubameyang on the right wing, and I'm thinking, yeah. what the fuck is going on here? Because, I, you know, you've got two really good strikers, and you're asking them to do, I assume they're doing what they're asked to do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I yeah. don't know what it is. I don't <laughs> understand what it is, and I don't think this comes back to the point you made earlier on. I don't think they understand what it is no. exactly they're supposed to be doing. No, exactly. And and the thing is with this kind of one Kolasinac tactic that, you know, is, is reasonably effective, it, it's still very eye of the needle, you know. Um, how many passes went out of play, um, you know, trying to play Kolasinac in? Because that pass has to be perfect. And then when he gets there, the cutback has to be perfect. It's all very, um, mm. it's a very kind of Goldilocks move, yep. you know. Yeah, um, and so what ends up happening is, yeah, we get in behind a lot and then there are lots of cutbacks and most of them get cleared, um, quite frankly, or most of them go to a player who can't quite get a shot off. It it, it all has to be like inch perfect. And like I said, I, I don't think the technical level of the team is, is quite high enough to do that um, on a regular basis. And yeah, the rest of it, it's, it's, it's such a muddle, really. It's a real muddle. And that's, um, you know, in the long term, it's very, it's, it's difficult. Like you can't, I, I, so I always expected this season to be very up and down in terms of results. Um, I expected us to be quite inconsistent, but I expected that to happen because I thought, well, what will probably happen is we'll settle into a style and then we won't quite have the players for it. So sometimes it will come off and sometimes it won't. But, you know, the the worry we've had all season, really, even during the, the unbeaten run is that there just doesn't really seem to be a style. And, you know, for, for everything, for all the angst that causes us as fans, that causes a far bigger problem for players. If they're, you know, if they're training every day and they're getting all of this information and they can't really seem to make head nor tail of it. And it, it looks, um, it does look to me like something is a bit more fundamentally broken than, you know, oh, if we play Ozil, he'll create loads of chances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I say, I don't, I don't think I don't think it will be any worse with him there at the moment. But I, I think something is a bit more fundamentally broken than that. And what what's really kind of got to me the last couple of months, um, and I really noticed this at West Ham as well, was I thought at the beginning of the season, at the very least, some of the fundamentals were being observed a little bit better. So I thought, OK, they are working harder. Um, there's far less like walking when we're when we're being counter-attacked and stuff like that, I, I thought at least the effort and the energy levels have gone up, which is, it was a fairly low bar on lo- last <laughs> season. And a, 
a quick win for the manager yeah. to get that right. But the last couple of months, that seems to have really reverted. And, you know, watching players, you know, walk while we're being counterattacked, the ball comes into our box. And, you know, for me, Kolasinac on that guy, you know, Monreal with a really lazy foul, just sticking a leg out when he absolutely doesn't have to. And then the ball coming into the box and Kolasinac attacking it with all the zest of, you know, the way I send an email at five to five on a Friday afternoon <laughs> in the office is yeah, just yeah. like, just like absolutely no conviction in it at all. And it's, it's very, it's worrying, you know, isn't it? Because it, it, yeah. it, it makes you think that they're not that they're switched off per se, but the messages that we assume that are being given to them on the training ground are, are not getting through. I mean, here's a remarkable stat. Arsenal have conceded eight times in the five minutes before halftime this season, which is amazing. This is the first time it's happened outside the Premier League, and thanks to our friend uh, at Opta Orbino for, for that information. But that is a fundamental, which is yep. concentration and organization and things which we assumed that when Unai Emery came in, these were the things that he was going to get right or he was going to improve on because they were they were all over the place under Wenger as well. But when you're coming into a club, surely those are the things that are kind of, I'm not going to say they're easy, but they're the easiest things to identify and the easiest things perhaps to put right. But over the course of the season, I'm not sure that we're, we're seeing that improvement. No, no, absolutely. And I think one of the things that might have changed, so not not an awful lot has changed that much, to be honest, other than the results. Um, I, you know, I, there was a fair amount of fortune in that kind of unbeaten run earlier in the season. And, you, you know, if you, if you try and tot up in your head um, at the moment, Arsenal's genuinely good performances um, this season, mm. um, I think you'd be... Uh, using one hand with change left over, um, to be honest with you. So it, it's not it's not changed that much. But I, I do think my read on it, I guess, is that he, he can't sort this defence out. And a lot of the kind of tinkering has been about, you know, because even when we were on the winning run, we were giving up so many chances. And, and we're quite fortunate, I think, that there are just lots of teams that don't have good strikers. I think if Cardiff yeah. and, or Huddersfield had any half-decent Premier League striker, we'd have been in big trouble in both those games. And I've felt that a few times this season. And I, and I think he's thinking, like, Christ, how do, how do I... You know, how do I shore this up a bit? And I don't think he can. And I think sooner or later, he might have to come to the realisation that, you know what, like, this is a very top-heavy squad and that's where my talent is. So I'm just going to have to lean into that. Not least because we've actually got a fairly decent run-in um, of yeah. winnable games, you know, other than, like, you know, there are some quite tough away games there, like Wolves, Leicester, those won't be easy, obviously Spurs. But particularly at home, we've got quite a good run. And I really think we'd be better off just leaning into that a bit more so that we're not going into games like this asking yeah. a kid who was playing in League Der last season, um, Alex Iwobi, and a 
frankly a failed left back as our only creative outlets we've we've got to do better than that and we've got the personnel to do it yeah you I... know tonight did we really need like three center halves and to have a bamiyang and suarez if you could see my face right now, I'm like gesturing <laughs> to the sky. And I know you're a bit more fond of the three at the back than I am. But, you know, yeah. this this felt to me like the sort of game that we could play a back four because, you know, they're a, they're a poor team. They're in preseason. They haven't played for two months. We put 10 goals past them last season. You know, go there and be aggressive and be adventurous and attack them. And I think if we did that, I think the game would have perhaps gone in a different direction. And I I looked at the lineup and I thought, okay, yeah, we can still win this. And we, could, we should still win this relatively comfortably. But a little bit of my heart sank when I saw back three again. Because whatever about going to Tottenham away, as we will, yeah. you know, next month at Wembley. And we will play three at the back because that's just what he will do. Going to Bate Borisov with a back three. And then, you know, I know our, our wing backs are supposed to be attacking and adventurous, but, you know, the reality is we didn't need that extra man in the back. You know, we didn't need three central defenders to deal with the threat that they posed, which was essentially nothing apart from, you know, the set piece goal that they, uh, that they scored having three, four center backs on the pitch is not going to make any real difference in, in that sense. So I wonder if we look at the players and we look at them and we think, okay, are they are they fully bought into what they're being asked to do? You know, does the does the conservatism help them perform or produce on nights like tonight when mm. really we should have that game by the scruff of the neck, which we did in the in the early stages but we should keep that game by the scruff of the neck you know they're a team you know that thing when you were a kid and like you had your your fucking uncle who would put his hand on your head and go on he'd go <laughs> try and hit me and you couldn't because you know he's just bigger and stronger and he can hold you off with with no with no hassle at all that's what we should have done footballistically mm. to bate borisov instead we played in a way or or set up or approach the game in a way which meant that if we didn't take the chances that we created, which we didn't, all of a sudden you're sort of going, okay, right, shit, now what? And yeah. there's, there's an element of that for, for the players, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and So I, I think in general, I think he will go three at the back for most, if not all, of our away games. And I do see some sense in that in the Premier League um, because I think he'll mm. largely do it because he doesn't really trust either of his fullbacks because one of them isn't a fullback um, in Kolasinac and well the other isn't a fullback either is he Maitland yeah, Niles yeah. is, not, is not a fullback either exactly so I, I think he'll go with the back three just because he feels probably with some justification that we're weak defending the wide areas so I, I can I can kind of get him bored with that and and if it means like having some continuity and like, right, this is how we're playing away from home now. Mm. I, you know, I can kind of see that tonight. No, I, I couldn't see that. And particularly, um, you know, and a guy who's won the Europa league three times, maybe should appreciate this, um, the, the value of the away goal. So e even if you concede one on the break, cause they lump one up the pitch and you get it wrong. 
I mean, if you score, you know, you score two, then you've put the tie out of sight, basically. So, you know, the, with, with with like the extra value of the away goal, that made it even less necessary, in my view, um, to, to kind of put three at the back. And not least because they were always just going to play those long balls. And with the way the pitch was, you know, it's not like the ball was going to go bouncing towards Petr Cech's goal. Quite yeah. frankly, every time they tried it, the ball just got stuck in a massive quagmire. Like it's not, it's actually not a great pitch, ironically. No, for and, ball football. And their striker had about as much pace as I do. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, exactly he, he wasn't right. going to get away from whichever pair of centre halves we, we wanted to play. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and they, they didn't threaten in that manner once at all, first half or second half. Um, so, and and frankly, like, with with some of our defenders, does it really matter having two or three? Of them no, it doesn't. Times? It doesn't. <laughs> it's you know, I I was thinking to myself tonight, and I was I was like looking at and a bit on Saturday as well, and I was just like, how is thirty three year old Lauren Koscielny, who's come back from this awful injury, still holding our defence together? How is how he? How is he still like clearly our best defender? Yeah. It's just it's ridiculous. And like, that's not a I slight mean, on Lauren Koscielny no, by any no. means. It's it's a it's reflective of the quality of the defenders that we have. Yeah, precisely. And it's and it's like you know absolute like I you know I thought he'd have a pair Mertesacker season where you know he barely play if at all. Um, and obviously, I think he probably played a bit more because of the injury situation. But now he, he's he's exactly where he was this time last year, which is an absolute automatic pick because he's our best defender. Yeah. Which, you know, really shouldn't be the case, even given the injury. Like, he's still 33, and he said he probably would have left last summer anyway had he not been injured. So we really shouldn't be at this stage where, our, our like, clearly our best defender is, you know, it probably in the last few months of his career at Arsenal, because I'm, you know, I'm not sure he'll stay for next season yeah, um, if he was going to go last summer. So, you know, it's, it's just... Um, it's it's all just it's all a bit mad it's all a bit baffling and it's just so hard to get your your head around really because even given a lot of these flaws as we said at the outset we're we're much better than that we have better players than that, that. even even freestyling with mm. no manager at all they should be able to go out there and beat that, Barté without too many problems i agree i mean i think nobody would dispute the fact that we need some better players you know, there isn't an Arsenal fan in the world who would say that this squad does not need an improvement, an input of quality. But I also think that Unai Emery should be getting more out of the players that we have. And I've been quite happy to give him time and leeway and understanding and his situation is difficult and his job is difficult. I fully mm. accept that. Tonight is a game that sort of resonated with me, you know, where you're sort of yeah. mm, trying to make up your mind about things and you're you're happy to give it a chance. And this one has, has cast some real doubt in my mind because I agree with you. I think the players that we have should be able to go to Bate Borisov and win that game comfortably. And we didn't, and there's a lot to worry about from that regard or from that point of view. So um, the Lacazette red card, mm. you know, silly and a player can get frustrated and he can lash yeah. out and everything else. But I do wonder if, 
you know, I think about the game against Huddersfield where there were passes that didn't come to him. And tonight, you know, all of a sudden, I mean, A, what's he doing there? What's he doing on the halfway line, you know, in a game where we're trying to fucking score a goal to get like a draw against fucking Bate Borisov and he's on the halfway line scrapping for the ball. What the fuck is that about? I mean, how much of... What's going on, do you think, has fed into that frustration rather than it being just like a moment of madness in a game, which can happen? I don't think it's a moment of madness. I think like that's just sort of a the straw that broke the camel's back a little bit. Yeah, I completely agree because Lacazette is um, he's not a combustible character, is he? He's no. not a guy that loses his temper a lot. And that that felt like a real build up of frustration and actually as, as stupid as it was and usually a player does something like that I'd, I'd just say well you're an idiot and, and to some extent that's still true but I kind of have some sympathy with him to be honest because you know there's a couple of minutes to go and he's he's on the halfway line on the right wing because he can't get the ball because we're so bad at trying to get the ball to him yeah. that he has to go all that way back to try and go and get it and you know, you can see why he's pissed off. And, and in the second half yeah, against Huddersfield um, on Saturday, loads of kind of counters broke down because, again, we just don't really have a lot of technical ability in the team at the moment. And, you know, lots of passes just not quite landing or being overhit. And, you know, he, he did he did cut a very frustrated figure in that second half because he was working really, really hard and he was actually taking up some really good positions. But, mm. A, we barely had the ball down there under the pitch. And when we got it there, we couldn't get it to him. And it was the same tonight. And, all right, he, he missed the chance. He should have scored in the first half. I'm sure that plays into it. He had that goal ruled out for offside. I'm sure that plays into it a bit. He'll be coming away thinking, I really should have scored tonight, regardless of whatever's going on going on around me so I'm sure all of that plays into it but to me you know and and he when he was was over Christmas he was subbed in a game and you know he looked we've had a few players who've done that like Lacazette and Aubameyang where they've been subbed and their reaction has worried me a little bit and you know I, I perfectly take the point the whole every player should be disappointed to be substituted and that's kind of true but I don't know that just I always worry about stuff like that. It reveals a deeper frustration, I think, anyway, or it makes me think that there's a deeper frustration. And, you know, Lacazette's kind of lost his rag about being subbed fairly recently. And, you know, and now he's kind of very uncharacteristically lashing out. Yeah. And that, that to me, is not a great sign. And um, at, at the risk of bringing up possibly the most boring subject in the world you've got to wonder as well how much like the whole Ozil thing plays into it what we I mean we don't know what do the players think if you're Lacazette and you're you want to score goals do you want a player in the team who is one of the uh, biggest chance creators in European football you know or do you want with all due respect to him Matteo Genduzzi or yeah. Alex Iwobi, and I'm not slagging off those guys in any way, but just you know, if you're if you're a striker and you you can you imagine what they're thinking at the start of yeah. this season? We've got Aubameyang, we've got mm. we've got Lacazette, and there's two strikers, and they're they're going to be penalty box players, and behind them we've got Mkhitaryan, we've got Ramsey, we've got Ozil, we've got uh, Iwobi, you know, who can who can play a part as well, and all of a sudden. 
you're in a team where the only chances you're getting are coming from a left back bombing forward yeah. if Iwobi or somebody else can find him behind the, the, the opposition right fullback. It's got to be something that they regret maybe is not the right word but you know they, they're probably rueful about the way things have worked out because mm. you know when you when you envision a season at the start certainly this was not what I was envisioning uh, Arsenal playing like and being like at this point in the no. season no absolutely and as as, as much as um, so I, I personally I just want the whole Ozil thing to end and I, I do think there is um I do think there is something to be said for for him going really not not just because of quote unquote the situation but I I I feel like the last remnants of Wenger ishness need to be removed from from the team and I I just don't think it's ever going to quite happen for Özil in the way we want it to but I you know on the other hand I, that that might not be how the players think about it at all and again we can only speculate but I bet you when we bought Aubameyang and we bought Lacazette I bet Özil was a big selling point um to mm, both of them for whether sure. it's yeah whether it was spoken about or not they it probably didn't need to be spoken about they probably thought yeah I I can play behind this guy and um you know it's one thing that they're not playing in in front of that guy anymore but when they're not playing in front of that guy and we're not really creating anything else, it you know it, it, it does make you wonder. They might be completely behind it. They might hate Ozil. They might think he's a dick. They might want him to go. They might resent his wages. They might not think he were you know it, it, they they could be completely behind it. But you know it does make you wonder because as well they know him as a person and and he doesn't seem unpopular or anything no. it's not like it's not like sanchez last season where you really got the impression that how, yeah. however good he was people just hated his guts i, I don't get that impression with Ozil. so you know it's one of those things and such is the life of a manager you make big calls um you know you need the results like good results fix everything like you can you can do anything really as long as the results are good but once they're not you know i i, I wonder how much these things go through the players minds it, they, it must do when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Look, okay, uh, let's move on from that. And let's, I want to talk to you about a couple of other quick things. Um, you, you sent out a tweet last night 
um, which said, since Gazidis left, Arsenal have withdrawn Ramsey's contract offer, insisted only loan signings can be made in January, and actively engaged in trying to dislodge their highest earner. Arsenal are in austerity mode. And I should just add a little something to that in that um, we did a story on Arsblog News early in January, which uh, told you that basically every department at Arsenal was sent an email to advise them to cut costs wherever possible, which uh, is a worrying thing, whether you're a football club or a supermarket or whatever kind of business you are. If you get a bo- uh, an email from on high from the boss saying, cut, cut costs as much as possible, you go, uh-oh. Uh, I might start looking around and seeing uh, what's going on here. But it's an interesting observation that Arsenal are in austerity mode and we can perhaps rationalize it and think, okay, it's to get ourselves ready for the summer. It's because we want to, we want to invest properly in the summer. But what if this is what it is? There's Mm. also that, that kind of worries me a little bit. Yeah. So some of the things I'm thinking about at the moment, uh, you know, so we got we got a guy like uh, Raul Sanyehi in who huge, huge name in um, the football world. We got Sven Mislintat in huge name in the football world that everybody knows about, you know, the probably with Monchi, like the most famous recruiter in football. Um, even though like this whole model is, is becoming very popular now, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure I could name too many other heads of recruitment throughout Europe. Mm. Like I don't, I don't know who does that for Real Madrid or Barcelona. I've got no idea. Um, so you know, some some high-profile guys who probably came in on big wages, and you know, we got a new manager. Were they? So so the thing that's going through my mind is, um, were were they told that this was what's going to happen? Mm. I, so so I I kind of think like the decision about Ramsey and about January um, and you know trying to squeeze Özil out and st- I, I I do maybe think that that's kind of Raúl because it's not what Gazidis would have done. It's not what Gazidis was doing. So so that doesn't make me think that Stan Kroenke has said right. You know, a year after signing off on this Urzil way, just gone. No, no, get rid of him. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think Kroenke takes like an active um, enough role to do or say something like that per se. Maybe the email about cutting costs that might have come from a Kroenke, but mm. I, I do still think it's probably Raúl who's who's driven those changes because it is a departure from what from what was happening when Gazidis was here. Um, but also, like with Emery, um, I, I didn't like the way, and, and I understand it from his point of view. But I, I didn't like the way he introduced that whole. Oh, I've been told that um, I can only sign players on loan. Um, th- he, there was a bit of tetchiness in the way he said it. I'm not sure the club really wanted it out there quite like that. Um, right at the beginning of the window, I'm sure they'd have preferred to have kept that a little bit private. Um, and it and it seemed like a lot of his language became very. I'm being told this is what they're telling me, as if to say it will I be. No, yeah, it'll be different yeah. in the summer. They tell me it will be different in the summer. Yeah, as if to say I am not an active part of this decision. This is being imposed on me, and I and that had the alarm bells ringing a little bit. But it also made me wonder, like, 
do you reckon Unai Emery was told when he was hired? Um, yeah, we bought all these players, you know, because you're not here yet and it makes a certain amount of sense for us to get guys in quickly. So, you know, this summer we're pretty much giving you players to work with, which which I'm sure he'd have thought, OK, that's that's fine. They might not all be the players I want, but I understand the situation for a bit of brevity. But do you reckon he was told last May? Oh, and by the way, in January, we're not giving you any money. No, um, I, I spoke to somebody no. and I don't, you know, I can't say with absolute assurance that this is the case. But somebody who I speak to relatively frequently who gives me good information often good information it's not always 100 percent accurate but you know always in good faith told me that they were they were told there'd be certainly more money than this yeah more money last yeah. summer and more money certainly money in january yeah, exactly. And and that, again, draw, makes me think it's probably Raul who's the kingmaker here because obviously it was Gazidis that, you know, did the hiring per se of Emery. And I'm sure Gazidis probably would have told him, yeah, there'll be money in January, there'll be money next summer, which might have been the case had he stayed. But And then obviously behind the scenes, you've got the head of recruitment leaving after less than a year. I mean, it's, it's not a pretty picture. It's not healthy, um, is it? No, no, quite frankly. And I don't, I don't know if you remember, I, I was on this podcast last summer and I, I just had a slight reservation about getting like Raul Sanyehi and Sven Mislintat together mm. at the time that Kazidis was leaving because these are two guys who, again, I reiterate, they're famous and they're famous because they want to be famous. And I'm not saying there's mm. anything wrong with that, but they want their names out there, which means they are ambitious men. Two, um, when again, two stags rut only yes. one stag comes out on top and the other guy exactly. goes away with his antlers between his legs or his whatever yes and there was a big <laughs> power vacuum that was created and then we bought these two big ambitious guys and i always had slight reservations about that and you know about placing all your faith in like gurus and this guy will fix everything i, I think there has to be a chemistry behind the scenes i think that's the most important thing but you know it it's not it's not really a healthy picture, um, which, which uh, you know, I'd, uh, so I'm not kind of doom mongering too much, which is, is not too much of a surprise, um, actually, when, you know, when you have the sort of upheaval we've had on and off the pitch over the last couple of years. Um, I think a lot of people criticise Man United, like, retrospectively um, for how they handled the Ferguson departure. But I don't remember too many people complaining about what they did at the time albeit they hired the wrong manager, but all the other kind of things they put in place, you know, people have mixed opinions about Ed Woodward, but he took on like a very definite, like a very definite, almost like director of football role. Mm. They got some old guys in like Phil Neville and Ryan Giggs to try and continue this. And, and I don't remember too many people complaining about that at the time. In retrospect, it was all wrong, but actually the idea was, fairly sound it's just it's really really difficult to replace you know to completely change the culture of your organization overnight and I, I i always felt that would be the case with arsenal it's not even a good idea on paper it, it's still going to be a bit rocky mm. um but yeah so in in short to sum up the players don't look happy the manager doesn't look happy and it doesn't look happy behind the scenes but other than that everything's um, okay 
everything's great, yeah. <laughs> well, look, I mean, I think it's fair also to say, and we should point this out, that, you know, what can seem like a desperate, awful situation in football can turn around quite quickly. You know, it is possible for things to change really quickly, especially if you win games on the pitch and, and the mood lightens a little bit and everyone gets a bit, you know, they're not quite as introspective. You know, the Moyes thing is quite interesting, isn't it? United sacked Moyes after, when did they sack him? March or April of that season? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I know it's a different job and it's a different circumstance and it's everything else, but, you know, uh, they were, I suppose, decisive in in what they did. And, you know, I've, I've sort of been of the opinion that it might not be the first guy that we get after Arsene Wenger who is the right man. It mm. might be a number of people doing a number of things who lead us to getting the right man somewhere down the line. And I mm. feel kind of that's what it's going to be. And I'm not saying that Unai Emery can't make a positive contribution or can't get us, you know, uh, to a level where we, we want to be or somewhere closer to where we want to be. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that Unai Emery is a, a, a guy who's going to bring Arsenal to the title or, or anything like that. No. So, And I, I don't think he was ever going to be. And I, and no. I I have to say, I'm not sure in their heart of hearts the guys who hired him thought that either. I think they well, thought if he can get us get us into fourth or win us the Europa League, yeah. then he sets us up yeah. nicely for the next guy. Effectively. Well, look, you know, we, you know, people can roll their eyes to heaven at this all they want, but you know, let's not buy the spin that Unai Emery was the guy they wanted all along because that's just not the case. It's nope. absolutely not the case, despite what Gazeta said about, you know, whatever, what did he say? Those who know don't speak and those who speak don't know. Yeah. I mean, what a big load of buzzword bullshit that was, <laughs> you know, and I, you know, I, I get that people wanted to buy into the new manager. Of course, we all wanted to buy into the idea that this new guy was going to come in and do a great job. And I'm not saying that he can't still do a great job, but, you know, this was not this smooth, unanimous process that they sat down and dossiers this and all that fucking bullshit. I don't, I don't believe it for a second. Um, I've lost my train of thought here because the Ivan Gazidis uh, and his face <laughs> has really annoyed me. I want to just do one thing before we go because um, I wrote a piece during the week about Aaron Ramsey and about his departure and it's been announced, of course, that he is going to Juventus uh, and he's going to earn a hell of a lot of money there and best of luck to him. He's going to he's gonna have a, a grand time in Turin playing for one of the biggest clubs in Europe. And I was of the opinion so it's my opinion that's all mm. that he is i can cause i can consider him like an arsenal legend because he's mm. done things which will live with me for the rest of my life the 2014 mm. uh, fa cup final winner the 2017 fa cup final winner the um, landing Van Persie on his arse incident, <laughs> which I think everybody should be able to get behind. The the not shaking Piers Morgan's hand after Piers Morgan was going to be or had been a complete wanker to him as he is to most people. And Ramsey, in typically understated fashion, said, 
I don't think I want to do that, which, <laughs> which is quite brilliant. Yeah. But the whole concept of like what is and what isn't a legend sparks all this great debate, doesn't it, about, well, mm. no, I mean, how you, he's not Thierry Henry, he's not Dennis Bergkamp, but that's not the issue. It's, it's no. clearly a personal thing. Like when I grew up or when I was growing up, Alan Sunderland was a legend for scoring the winner in an FA Cup final in 1979, and he scored a lot of goals for Arsenal, mm. but it was that one moment in 1979 that made him a legend in my eyes, and I don't see why Ramsey couldn't be a legend for lots of people, and nobody's saying just because I think that or you think that, you also have to think it. You know, we can all just yeah. go about these things thinking what we want. Yeah, it's it's quite a subjective thing, isn't it? It's, it's a bit like the World Cup class tag like yeah. how do you you know how do you define who and what is world class and and in one respect yes it's entirely subjective and it's driven by emotion and things that you can't really quantify um a lot of it i think um kind of comes out in the wash in the years that follow so i, I don't think you really find out until a, a little while after a player's left and uh, I, I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, and the example I used was Mark Overmars, um, who was a brilliant, brilliant player for Arsenal, who did scored iconic goals. You know, yeah. the one at Old Trafford, the cup final, the day we win the league against Everton, he scores two. It, you know, he made the most significant contribution during that double season. He was amazing. But because he was replaced by Robert Pires, he's barely talked about. So how you're replaced is one thing. And how um, you leave, which wasn't, yeah. you know, the, the greatest either. Uh, same with Petit, who made an yeah. amazing contribution in that double season, but the way he left and the way he behaved in the six to nine months before he left, you know, coloured yeah. his um, status for me, certainly. Absolutely. And, and Ramsey's, Ramsey's setting himself up well on that score because he's gone abroad, because he's conducted himself very well. Um, and that that will kind of play favorably with people because, you know, Cesc Fabregas, for example, probably isn't an Arsenal legend because there are too many people who 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 still feel, um, you know, some animosity about the way he left. So like because, you know, it, in one respect it is subjective, like, you know, I, I loved um, I loved Bakri Sanya, loved Wojciech Szczesny, yeah. loved I loved Alex Leb personally um <laughs> he, he was a player who divided opinion but i absolutely loved him sure but I, I i know those players aren't arsenal legends even if i personally consider them that way i understand that in you know the pantheon of the whole arsenal support nobody's going to be building any statues for them or anything but i th i think you know, to get that kind of objective who is a legend type thing. I think a lot of it depends on the kind of era they play in as well. You know, Brady was definitely an Arsenal legend, but his legend, I think, is almost amplified by the fact that he played in such a bad era where there were so few good players and, and he, he was, was the one. Yeah, he was miles and miles above everybody else. Exactly. And we didn't really replace him either. So he very much stayed a legend and he went abroad um, so people kind of, you know, that kind of affection and that longing stayed. So a lot of these things with, with Ramsey, a, a lot of those things that are just completely out of his hands. Um, but what I will say is I think there are players who have done less for Arsenal who would probably be considered legends. And I, I think in a few years, um, particularly like if we do have maybe a bit of a drift for the next few years <laughs> and we're not in the Champions League, I, I, I think that... Um, people will certainly look back 
very very favorably um on aaron ramsey and i, I you know i think he's 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 in the conversation, put mm. it that way, for legend sure. status. I think even for the Piers Morgan thing alone, he should be <laughs> he should be a legend. I you know I remember speaking to somebody who had to who had to do a, a thing with Piers Morgan uh, a couple of years back, and I asked what was it like, and they said, "Imagine how bad you think it could be. <laughs> it's worse." So I, Yeah, I don't doubt that's true. No, I don't either. All right, Tim, look, we better leave it there. Thanks for your time this evening, and uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. My pleasure as always. Thank you very much indeed to Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto, and of course you can read his column on Arsblog every week uh, on Arsblog.com, and you will find him writing about the Arsenal women's team on Arsblog News as well. This weekend, we don't have a game. So this last little bit where we might preview the game coming up uh, at the weekend, well, there isn't a game to preview. So all I'm going to do right now is just say thank you for listening, as always. It hasn't necessarily been the most cheery podcast we've ever put together, but when you lose 1-0 to Bate Borisov, what can you expect? They do say, though, that a problem shared is a problem halved. And if... By listening to this podcast, we've cut Arsenal's problems in half somehow, then that can only be a good thing. So, James and I will be here on Monday. We will be recording an Arsecast Extra for you. If you would like to give us a rating or review on iTunes, thank you very much indeed. That will be greatly appreciated. You don't have to, though. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. We can't make you do it. You just do whatever you feel like doing. It's that kind of weekend. We've just lost to a shit team. Do whatever you like. It's fine with me. But as I said, I do thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Welcome back to Sky Sports News. Coming up a bit later on, Mark Hughes and Alan Pardew on the nude calendar that they hope is going to get them another Premier League job. First, though, bad news for Arsenal fans. After a weekend of team bonding at Unai Emery's house, every single player is down with food poisoning except for Mesut Ozil. It's believed a dodgy paella is to blame and the Gunners face a crisis heading into this weekend's game. And we, sorry, we've just got some, we've got some breaking news here from the Arsenal training ground. Mesut Ozil has been left out of the Arsenal squad this weekend by Unai Emery. The Spaniard said he much prefers to focus on the players who are going to play, even though he doesn't have any players who can play. Stick with us here on Sky News for the latest. 
Coming up next, though, Sam Allardyce is in studio to tell us why he thinks Brexit means he should be able to hunt foreign players for sport. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 